Good morning, everybody. I am Jim. I am a compulsive overeater and food addict. Hi, Jim. Um, just a quick backstory about me. My highest weight was 535 pounds. I weigh like 265 now. I've been in, I'm passing my picture around. Please don't judge me because my phone kit thing is cracked. <laughs> no judgments, please. You can just see what my before picture. Um, I came into program eight years ago. Um, it's coming up on eight years. And I've been abstinent since uh, 2011. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting journey. I just, just getting into program took an awful lot for me of almost dying several times and coming close to death. And uh, it's already broken. Um, <laughs> um, so I found my way into the, into the rooms actually through uh, outpatient rehab. I was actually forced, I, actually, I always like to say I was shoved into the rooms of OA. And it, it really, it just to save my life. And just a little of step one, um, just a little mini recap of that is that, you know, admitting I was powerless and my life was unmanageable, okay. I couldn't walk. Uh, my almost got evicted from my apartment. My health was declining. My blood sugars were over 390 fasting. I had severe heart disease. My life was unmanageable. Um, and I finally just was like, it's enough. It's enough. I, I have to stop. So I got in and... I went through the steps the first time and for what it didn't really, it didn't work for me. It didn't stick because um, five years in, I just found myself completely and utterly a wreck. I was an emotional wreck. I was spiritually a wreck. I was annoying my friends unbelievably. Um, and so I met my sponsor, my current sponsor three years ago and we started doing steps through the big book. And I have to say that that changed my recovery in ways that I just didn't expect it to. And so step two came to believe in a power, uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It was a little hard for me because I wanted nothing to do with the religion of my upbringing. And it I knew about, I came into the rooms when I was 46. Now, I knew about the rooms since I was in my 20s because someone, someone had recommended it to me, and I looked it up on the Internet, and I saw God in the steps. And I said, there's no way. I don't, I, you know, <laughs> I believed in God, but I believed in the God of my upbringing that I was told about. And my sister also said I was afraid not to. I think she might have been right. Um for fear of punishment because that's what it was it was all powerful vengeful god that's what you're taught from like six years old and i'm like yeah i don't need that god in my life to help me because that's just not for me it wasn't how i connected and so you know i in, a, in reading we agnostics it just was amazing how i read it on my own as part of my uh step work and i then went back and read it through with my sponsor and it was an totally different experience. I saw things that I never saw before. And every time I go through it with a sponsee and I read it again, it's like, I feel like they added words to the book. <laughs> or like, I never read that before. Are we sure that that was in there before? 
And it's just amazing. And so, you know, as it talks about in the book that, you know, we come to a crossroads. Either we continue on the way of our life and we can die or come to a disastrous end or we can accept spiritual help. So, and believe it or not, some people, I know people that just can't make that decision. It's not an easy one to do. It's not an easy one to accept. But I was so ready to do anything because I had tried anything. I had tried everything in the world from the time I was seven to the time I was 46. Nothing worked. So obviously there was something missing. And I always felt like I was searching for something in my life. There was always something missing, but I never knew what it was. And I replaced it with food. I replaced it with alcohol. I replaced it with drugs. I replaced it with gambling, shopping. Any addiction you want to list, it's probably been one that I have had. And none of them worked, and I couldn't figure out why. And I heard someone say once, a God-sized hole. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. I needed spirituality in my life. I didn't need anything else. And so I set about to work on this and I really had to, it was a challenge for me because I had, I thought I knew everything there was to know about spirituality. I was convinced that there was nothing anyone could teach me and that I didn't want to be a spiritual person if it meant being a religious person because I thought that they were intertwined. And they can be for people. Some people take great comfort in their religions, and that's great. And it doesn't matter how or where you find your higher power. It's just a matter of you need to find one. And so for me, when I was able to separate that they are two totally separate things, and a spirituality is just not, does not mean you follow religion. And for me, that worked. But I had to set about working to figure that out. And the book, this, uh, sorry, the chapter really basically, it tells us where, how, and why to find God. It's all throughout the chapter in We as Gnostics. And I was like, my sponsor said that to me. And I'm like, I don't think that that's where it is. But yeah, it is. You just, I learned to stop, I learned to stop saying that to my sponsor because she knows what she's talking about. And the one thing that, too, that I found really amazing is that they say God a lot through there, but they say other words as well. They say creator. They say realm of the spirit, the spirit of the universe. So it doesn't matter what you call your higher power. I've told my sponsees, you could call your higher power Fred. I don't care. It's a, it, is some, it is a higher power that is personal to you, and no one else can define it for you. And... That's amazing because everyone's always wanted to tell us how to define what we needed to do. Here we have complete authority to actually just see who define our higher power for what we want it to be. And so, you know, my sponsor talks about she heard a speaker once say, I never understood why a newcomer had problems with a higher power because we let you make it up. It's not anything that you tell, so it's something that you're comfortable with. I had, I had um, one sponsee who refused to say the word God, who would not say he pronouns. And I said, okay. I mean, I can't. That's fine. It's, it's whatever you're comfortable with because who am I to stand in judgment on anybody else in their higher power? 
just as much as it says it, it, toward the end of the chapter when the guy was struggling, it's like, who are you to say there's no God? And so it's like, I encourage people. And then I had someone who was an extremely religious person. He was actually going to be a pastor in training. And he saw it in a completely different way. And it's amazing to me how working with sponsees, I learned so much. Because it's not just other people we learn from. We can learn from sponsees. We can learn from whoever. I believe God talks to us through other people as well. And sometimes when you're not getting the message personally, he, he sends someone along the way to throw it at you in some way, shape, or form. Because I believe that you, my, I, for in the beginning, I used to just say higher power because I could not say God. I refused to say God. I was like, you can't make me say God. Um, but I say God. I talk to God all the time. It was over time and changes and just letting go of everything, laying aside prejudice. Um, and I found it to be an amazing experience. And I was very intolerant of religious people and my religion that I, I grew up in. And I read that line, I was intolerant of the intolerant. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just as bad as they are. Because if you didn't, I totally wouldn't even listen to anybody else's opinion. If someone told me, they went to church, I just immediately shut my brain off. And who am I to do that? I can't say who someone else's God is. So I don't have to agree, but, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But um, we don't, I don't have to agree with everything. That's not, that's not my role. My role as a sponsor is to guide people so they can find their own higher power. It doesn't say in the book, I'm going to guide you till you believe what I believe. That's not written anywhere. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Medication makes my brain hurt. Um, I'll get back on it. Okay, so, yeah, so we set aside of that. And at this point... We're still not, I wasn't doing anything yet. This was all the first three, the decision steps of like, what are we going to do? What is this that we're, how are we going to do this? Am I going to believe? Um, all you have to have is a willingness to believe to start. That's it. When, when I take sponsees through the book and we're in the We Agnostics chapter, I say, you don't have to have it defined just yet. All you have to do is have a willingness to believe that there is a power greater than yourself. That's it. That's all we need to do to start. It, you will figure it out and you will define it the further we get into the steps and we do the steps. It'll become much clearer to you. But at this point, you don't have to know exactly what your higher power is. And for me, it has changed over time and it's just actually gotten to be stronger. And the more that I do work and the more that I do service work and work with sponsees, it changes, but it also always changes in a positive way. And I do believe that. I do. I, my life was insane. My way was absolutely, I was not good. I was 535 pounds. I had heart disease, diabetes. It just is like, 
I almost got a vic- It's like, yeah, that's not a person who's in control of their life. My finances were out of control. Um, so it's like, okay, obviously my way doesn't work. There's got to be some way to change this. So, yeah, I can believe that there's a power greater than me that can do this because I can't. And all the people in my life couldn't do it. And so, yes, I, I made that decision. And I have to remember throughout life, whenever anything comes up and I want to take my will back, that I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it alone. I always felt very alone in the world. I always felt that I was on my own. I always felt that I didn't belong. And so I always was, I was afraid of everything and I would go places and I'd be terrified. And I was told, bring your higher power with you. Huh, that's an interesting concept. So I bring my higher power with me wherever I go. I'm never alone anymore, I'm not. And I can trust, kind of going into step three, but I can trust that this power that I have that I believe in is going to take care of me. I have to have that belief. That's where it starts. One of the first things that I wrote down with my sponsor is belief without faith is fantasy. I can have a belief. Yes, I believe. But I have to have faith in that belief, that that belief is never going to let me down. And I have to say, it's never let me down at all. Even in the moments when I really feel in my... um, absolute despair which I was having a complete and utter meltdown on Friday completely I called somebody and they were like and I said before you even start I do not want to hear about it'll all be fine I do not want to know just let I don't want to hear I'm like that's not really the way to do it but I was just I just was like I don't want to hear I don't want to know and yeah, that attitude changed quickly, and I got over it. But in that moment, I forgot. In that moment, I forgot that I don't have to do this alone. I felt like I was very overwhelmed. I felt like, where did my belief go? And where did my faith go? That all of a sudden, I felt like I was drowning all alone. So someone had to remind me very clearly that I needed to just hold on to that belief because where belief has to be with you 24 7 you can't believe just when it works out your way belief is that belief is knowing that it will be okay no matter what happens no matter what comes up that i don't have to worry about the results because god has it for me And that's a very different way of living than I've ever done before. Because beforehand, I didn't believe, I didn't have any kind of belief or faith that someone was looking out for me. I just really didn't. I always thought that this was it. And then when my parents died and my mother, who had a very strong faith, I was very angry too because she was sick and she died within 14 months and my dad died four months later and then I had cancer and all within the space of like six months and I'm like well where is my God when I'm going through absolute hell oh and I had a bad car accident (laughs) so this happened from September to March one year and it was just like I was just I had no faith that anything was there because I just thought that I was completely and utterly abandoned all on my own 
and going through absolute hell and despair. And it was a, not a good time in my life. And I have learned that God never turned his back on me. I turned my back on God. God's always there. He's always there to those who honest, earnestly seek him. And we just have to do the footwork. You know, it's not, you know, living in a world where you just kind of like, you believe that something is going to happen, that you're going to be taken care of. And doing that, actually, it, it just makes life so much easier. There's so many things going on in my life right now that it's just swirling around in my head and I just didn't know what way was up on Friday and I don't have to know. I don't have to know what way is up. I have to be like, okay, I called my 10-step buddy and she was like, you know, you're in halt so you can't think about anything while you're in halt because that's the worst time to think. And she goes, where is, your, where is HP in all this? Why aren't you, where's your belief? And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, all right, fine. Be right. <laughs> um, and, but she was right. And the minute I just turned it around and I said a prayer and I brought, I had to go in for physical therapy and I was sitting there and I was kind of just meditating and relaxing. It was like, I completely felt different. It was like, okay, I'm back on track. I know that I'd stop. Just stop worrying about it. You're what you're, I was making my life insane again, but it was me that was doing it. And so I needed to remember that. I needed to remember that I wasn't alone, no matter how much I, I thought I was. Um, So, hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. So, I'm going to stop. Okay. Do you want to start talking? Sure. No, go ahead. Okay. I'm Bobby Murphy. I'm a food addict. Hi, Bobby. From Exit 11. (laughs) There's no traffic this morning. No. But I felt like I was going backwards. I was doing 70, and they're going, boom, boom. I said, oh my God. Anyway. Um, I want to show you, this is, I used to be 310, 315, somewhere around there was my highest weight, and now I weigh 110, I'm lying, (laughs) I'm lying, lying. I've been in this program 42 years, and I'm still one bite away, one bite away, have I been perfectly absent in 42 years, lie number two, I haven't, um, I'll explain. I'm going to send some pictures around, and as you notice, Garfield is also a food addict. (laughs) Garfield comes up with a lot of the stuff that I did, or thoughts, and whatever. And you'll see me from thin to, you know. Okay. All right. I came into OA not because I was happy. I came into OA because I was fat. Large. I was about 230, 240 when I came into program. And um, I'm going to cut out a lot of details, but uh, I found this room and I knew, I knew, I knew I belonged. I knew. And all our meetings at that time were two hours, every meeting. 
Every meeting started at 8 and ended at 10 at night. Every meeting. There was only one meeting during the day, and that started at 10 and ended at 12. And they were all beginners meetings. Because I started when program was very new in North Jersey. Now, I don't know when it started here, but North Jersey. So our meetings were tremendous, tremendous, because there were so few meetings. And I met some great people, and I met some real wackos, all right, <laughs> who needed more help than Oway could possibly give them. But anyway, um, what has my life been like? It has given me freedom. You know how they say, you know, the freedom, the, the joy of abstinence? Well, I fought abstinence because I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I was on a diet. When I first came into program, I was on a diet. I didn't want all this crap, step two, three, five, nine, whatever. I wanted to lose weight. That's the only reason I was there. And then I lost weight. I lost, oh my God, I, I'm 5'7", and I got down to 130 pounds. I don't know if any, I should have brought it. The infamous gray sheet. I don't know if any of you remember gray sheet. Yeah, uh, gray sheet's interesting. Uh, I was listening to a, a um, podcast from the first uh, trustees meeting they had way back in the day in LA. Hey, I made a poem, day in LA. Anyway, uh, the one, the man was saying, uh, yeah, we, we created Gray Sheet. And he says, no doctor or anything. He said, uh, bananas aren't on Gray Sheet because I don't like bananas. <laughs> strawberries aren't on Gray Sheet because she doesn't like strawberries. <laughs> Not because it wasn't healthy, it's just what we didn't like. And I got sick because of it. So my doctor said, I'm sorry, you can't be on this. This, this is, this is. You're gonna die. Your body, yeah, you're gonna die. The cal, the, the calorie content was about 900 to 1,000 calories a day. So of course I lost a lot of weight overnight. You know that's what we want. So anyway, the doctor said you're just going to have to increase your food. I went, oh really? I said really. So 115 pounds later, <laughs> and I did not stop program. I did not stop coming to OA. Did not stop. I was eating. During the break, I would go out to the car and eat my donuts. I'm sorry. Do we need food? Yeah. Okay. I would go out to the car and eat my donuts, come back in for the second part of the meeting. Sugar all over me, and nobody said a word. You know? I, uh, I lied, I said the words. I was very good at saying the words. Yeah, easy does it. Yeah, first things first. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life. <coughs> you know, that kind of thing. I said all the words. I started to read the big book. I started to, and we didn't have, we had the big book, but in the day we did not have an OA 12 and 12. We read the AA 12 and 12. And then, um, I loved it. I loved it because then it finally started to hit home. But it started to hit home about eight or nine years after program that I first came in. I said, you know, they might have something here. Um, as time went on, 
things started to make sense. See, I'm um, like a lot of people that come to these rooms, I'm not saying you, but a lot of people that come to these rooms, it's all or nothing. I'm really in a way, or I'm never going to one of those meetings again. All right? I was looking, I learned to look for balance. OA and life. Right? And the only way I could do that was through a lot of meetings. I had a sponsee who really needed a job. She told me over, over my career, she estimates I've been to about 5,000 about 5, meetings. I said, you need a job, really. <laughs> I've been to about 105 retreats, which I highly recommend, highly. We used to have a mega convention up at the Concord in New York State, used to go to that. You know, every year I went for many years. I believe in meeting people from other areas. I really do. But anyway, um, I, I did the steps, went all the way to 12, and my sponsor said, okay, we're gonna start again. I said, what are you, out of your mind I did? I started again. I followed directions. The first sentence in how it works is, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Rarely. Change it. Thoroughly have we seen a person fail who has rarely followed our path. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know someone in program who might be very thin, who might have lost a lot of weight, but that's not what we're about. It's not only about the, the size, it's also about the head. I had a very fat head, very fat head. Tremendous amount of self-will. Because see, for a woman to get up to 300 and something pounds, that's a lot of self-will. And I don't recommend that for anybody. Yeah. But that was my bottom. That was my bottom. So long story short, I'm still here, still in OA. I will not give it up. I will not. I can count on one hand how many people I've known for this long. So many people I know have passed away from the disease, you know, and um, they look for an easier, softer way, whether it be the surgery, whatever, whatever. For me, there's no easy way. This, for me, there's none. I have to do it the way it's written in that book. And boy, sometimes I want to burn that book because I go, I don't want to hear what that has to say. I really don't. Okay, I'm here to talk about step three. Two. Three. No? Two? Three? Two and three. You what told are we doing? Three. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> anyway. Because um, I didn't prepare step two. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, I think it's the second paragraph in step three of the OA 12 and 12. Second paragraph from the end. It says, I'm paraphrasing. You're not going to retire if you don't get a God. You're not going to recover. Retire. You're not going to recover if you don't get a God. You're not. You're not. If you're going to be like me at the beginning, I know all the words. I can tell you everything you want to hear. I can tell you that God's in my life, and I go, <clears throat> yeah, sure. Really. I knew all the words. But there was no action in back of the words. All right? So finally, just things started to come together. 
when? I don't know. It just started to come together. And was it a, a quick decision? Oh, my Lord, no. It was a slow dis- process that led me to a wonderful decision to really study what program's about. I'm defiant. I'm very defiant. I think we all are to an extent because that's part of a compulsive behaviors personality. Self-willed, defiant, I know more than you, blah, blah, you know, that kind of thing. And um, that's called humility when we don't need to have that behavior any longer. I have it once in a while. Okay. Um, Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. This is not a a step in which we have to go out and reinvent the world, right? We're reinventing our world. We're reinventing that. But I'm sure your car at one time or another has broken down, correct? All right, things happen. So here it is, you have this car and uh, you said, well, I gotta get this thing fixed. I gotta get it fixed. So you made a decision. I am going to fix my car. That is a decision you made. Well, a decision does not fix your car. You actually have to do action. You have to do action to have your car fixed. You have to go to the te- you know, repair guy, whatever. So making a decision is one thing. Doing something with that decision is another. And that's what step three is all about. We're making a decision to make, put someone in our life who is more powerful than me and more powerful than food. Food was my God for many, many, many years. Many years. Food was my God. And I don't have that in my life anymore. That, that God is gone. God is gone. Um, Jim mentioned that uh, God has many different names. You see, I take notes. I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the first 164 pages, God, the word God is mentioned 134 times. Who the hell sat down and did this, okay? There's another one that needs a job. (laughs) Now, other other, uh, words, like Jim said, power, thy power, thy love, thee, providence, power, the way of life, etc., etc., 281 times. There's many different words for God, many. And if you, <clears throat> excuse me, seriously think about it, the big book is telling us we have to get one. Whether we want to or not, we have to get one. Right? Now, I'm, I'm a, a Catholic, and I went to confession, and I knew the priest was in some type of anonymous program. I could tell by his homilies. Oh, you gotta live one day at a time, you know, and you gotta do first things first, and easy does it. I'm going, oh yeah, this guy's an anonymous. So I met him, right, for a confession one day. And I said to him, are you an AA? And he says, yeah, how did you know? And I told him. I said, I, how, how, you're a priest. You're, you're a religious, you studied, you studied your faith. I don't understand 
why you have an issue with God. You know, I don't, it doesn't click. He said, I have a tremendous faith in God. He said, of course. But he said, what I learned in AA has made my faith better. Okay. Taught him a philosophy. You know, and I'm going, oh, this guy has something here. So I said, all right, I'm getting all these signs. So make a decision, right? And then that takes action. Then you got to become willing to do the action. You have to give up ourself. Because AA and OA ask us to do two things. The one thing is, of course, our addiction. Refrain from whatever our addiction is. The second thing is, I forgot it. <laughs> oh, get a God. <laughs> get a God. That's the only two things they ask us to do. But they also ask us to follow what other people have done before us. There's a woman in OA that I absolutely adore. And she's been in one year longer than myself. And I grew up with her in program. You know, lovely woman. Lovely. And she wasn't. She mm-hmm. wasn't. So it's wonderful to see the changes. You know, when I first met her, it was like, mm, yeah, you know, but lovely woman. That's what program does. It changes us for the better. If we're willing to do what the big book tells us to do. Um, something that's very difficult for people like me is trust. Right? Because I've been shot down so many times by family, friends, you know. I I very little trust. But we have to trust in a God. We have to have firm belief that he's going to help us. I'm going to tell you a quick story about trust. When I, um, I, I sold my house, I, I mean, I'm sorry, let me, let me preface. Uh, I wanted to sell my house. And my mom had passed away. So here I was, the owner of this house. I'm going, I don't know if I want this house. I don't know if I want this house. So I said, okay, God, tell me when it's time to move. That's all I did, a few times a day. Tell me when it's time to move. And I trust it, I trust it. Um, 14 months later, after saying this, I was shopping (laughs) and this thought, sell your house. I said, really? That was a Monday. I called my real estate agent, he came over Friday, I sold my house by Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Tell me that's not God. I sold my house in five days. I went. It's only an example of turning your will over to God. Now I'm not talking about going to the store and saying, Lord, should I buy red shoes or black shoes? No, I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about major decisions, major decisions. And God does not have a time. You know, he's not going to say, I'm going to tell you by noon. No, no. He's going to tell you when he thinks you're ready for the gift. I'm a firm believer in asking because my God wants me to ask. He wants me to ask him for strength and for, for, for 
his, his will. Because he lives my life much better than I live my life. He really does. Um, another God story. After my mom passed away, um, the first week, you know, a morning, I went with my uncle to her, her grave, and I was asking God, please give me a sign. Please, please give me a sign, Lord. I need to know she's with you. I need to know, you know. So I'm on the ground, sitting like an Indian. And uh, the day before, I brought her a jelly donut. She loved jelly donuts, so I put it on her grave. And it was still there the next day. So I saw there was a bird sitting on the other another headstone and uh, and that the, my uncle said that bird is here that's your mom telling you thank you for the donut I said I believe it when that bird comes and eats it and he did he came and ate the donut right in front of me it was I was like two feet away so these are just little things right now if I wasn't abstinent and aware of these, I wouldn't have seen it. I say, now isn't that funny? No, what did I say? Thank you, God, you answered my prayer. Show me a sign. That's me, that's me. You have to find your own way. You have to find your own way. Do I suggest you get a religion? No, no, you don't have to have a religion. For me, it was, for me, okay? It gave me a, a basis, right? The first three steps are made to help us come to the fact that we have a problem with an addiction, okay? It really does. It's the three steps are situated the way they are so that we finally come to the decision, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, we need help here. We need some spiritual help. Don't intellectualize God, please. You intellectualize him, you're gonna, you might as well leave the rooms and don't come back. Because a lot of people say, well, how could there be a God? He, who made God? You know, I say, don't go there. It's called trust. It's called trust. So, um, <laughs> I'm old, what can I tell you? Um, where was I going? I have no idea. Trust. Trust. God might oh, know. Yes, I remember. God Trust. knows. Ask him. Oh. <laughs> Trust. Trust. Trust in the process. <laughs> Trust in the process. Does it take work? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Is it worth it? Oh yeah. This is this way of living is much better than any cookie I ever had. Really is, because if I was eating, I would not have seen the gifts that that God has for me, would not have seen it. When I sold my house, I had to find a place to live, all right? So I said, God, help me, help me. I, 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 where am I gonna go now? Where am I, I need a place to go, where am I gonna go? The next day, a woman calls me who lives in a senior condo, and she says, hey, there's a place here, you gotta see it, it's for sale, you gotta see it. Well, I went and I saw it, all right? immense, is bigger than my house. I said, God, I like it, what do you think? 
So I did, you know, search everything around. I asked questions. The woman paid three ninety for it. I got it for two fifty. Things just came to pass. It's and I had nothing to do with it. I just did the footwork. God did the rest. But it's very hard to develop that. It takes time, abstinence. Because you're abstinent, you will understand and you'll realize that this is God working in your life. Because if you're eating, you're not going to know. You're going to be looking at the perfect bite. I want the perfect cookie, the perfect whatever it was. That's the obsession that, that we have. Okay, um, I have a parable for you. Oh, by the way, somebody in AA also had nothing else to do and rewrote step three, right? I decide to take the actions necessary to turn my motivations, my thinking, and my actions over to the care of God as I understand him. It's a lot easier to understand that way. I, I'm gonna have a par- I have a parable about God's will. I'll find it, it's here, it's here, it really is. This is a workshop on step three, I'm not doing the whole thing. It's here. It really is. Oh, found it. Okay. All right. This captures the essence of step three. A drunk is staggering along the street, and he meets God. Uh, God, I can't do this anymore, he says. Please, please give me sobriety. God says, well, you know, sobriety isn't free. How much money do you have? The drunk reaches into his pocket and says, 50 bucks. So God says, I'll take it. Poof, you're sober. The man stands up straight, drunk no more, feels pretty good. He says, "Uh, yeah, but God, God says, yes. Um, I I know I gave you money, but uh, you see, I need to get gas to put in my car. God says, you have a car? The man says, uh, yes, I do. Johnny Page. You didn't tell me you had a car. You know what? I'm going to take the car, too. So the guy says, but, 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 but. God interrupts and says, I'll take the car. It's part of the price for your sobriety. But, but how am I going to get to work? You have a job? Oh, heck, I'll take that job, too. But God, how am I going to pay the mortgage? Mortgage? You have a house? I'll take that too. But God, my my family, how will I take care of them if I don't have a house or a job? God says to him gently and lovingly, in order to keep your sobriety, you must give me these things. But I will let you drive my car as long as you remember. It's my car. You can have the job, but remember, you're working for me. My house that I will let you live in is mine. And as for the family, they are my family, but I trust you will take care of them. That's step three. Having trust and belief that someone better than food is going to help me live a glorious and wonderful life. Thank you.
So as you were talking, um, <laughs> a few things came to my mind, and you know, I think we're like the forgetful twins up here this morning. We keep forgetting where we are. Um, but you said trust, and trust was a huge thing for me. I didn't trust anybody. Um, there was no one that I trusted, and now someone's asking me to believe in a power greater than myself. Like, yeah, no, I can't put my trust in human beings how can i put my trust and faith into something i can't see and i could list many many reasons why i shouldn't put my trust in a higher power uh i'm an incest survivor i had heart disease my parents were gone in four months and um i could just keep listing on and on and on but there's none of them are none, none of them I found were valid reasons for holding on to that distrust that I held on to. I distrusted people. I didn't even know people and I distrusted them. I would meet people and go, I don't like the look of that person. <laughs> They're up to something. Or I was terrified of I was just terrified of men in general, which I know comes from my trauma background, but it was no it wasn't substantiated. I was terrified to be around. It was so bad that when I first came into recovery i was um I was in an outpatient center, and that's how I got shoved into o a and I would actually have to start talking about stuff with my I would not be in the room alone with a male therapist. I refused. And I had a female therapist, and then she left. She got fired. I don't understand why. And then I had another female therapist, and she was leaving. So the woman that ran it said, you know, it's time to put you in a room with a male therapist. I had a big-ass hissy fit in the middle of the center in the hallway, like yelling and crying, and I just flipped out. That's just, you know, there was no, but it was the best thing in the world for me. I trusted that this woman knew what she was doing. She was a trained therapist. She's like, it's time. It's time. Because if I started talking about things at that time, I would go beat red. I would start hyperventilating. And I, my whole tactic at that time was if I got uncomfortable, I just left. (laughs) So the minute I felt uncomfortable and I felt distrustful, I was out of there. I was gone. I still have that. I think it's part of the PTSD stuff is that whenever I'm in a room, I make sure I have a clear line to where the exit is and that there's not a lot of people in my way. I'll knock Bobby over if I need to. Um, but I have to. It's just still a thing in me. And it's, but, but the funny thing is, is that when I sat down today, that wasn't the first thought that came into my mind. I just brought it. I just came to my mind now because I was thinking about it. But it's still... It's putting that trust and faith and belief that you're going to be taken care of. And from a point of me feeling like I was not being taken care of, I, it was very difficult for me. And it wasn't just like, I'm gonna give my trust over and it just happened automatically. No, it took time. It took, there's something in the back, sorry, in a vision for you where they're talking and somebody asked what they what do they need in order to do what you do and and the answer was willingness patience and labor and i tell that to my sponsees all the time you have to have the willingness to want to do it you have to have the patience to know it is in god's time not yours and you have the labor you have to do the work there's a lot of work it's not 
It's simple, but it's not easy. I I met with this sponsee two weeks ago who is um, one of the most challenging people I've ever met in my life, and she's in my life for a reason. There's a lesson I need to learn from her, and that's what people keep telling me. Um, so we were done, and I was going through what we needed to do and get to get the fourth step started. And she's writing notes, and she's like, I'm in college. I feel like this is – she goes, this is hard. I'm like, yes. <laughs> It's hard. It's not going to be easy. You know, Bill talks about it's the destruction of self-centeredness, and that's not an easy thing to do. We have to just let go of everything. And when I would read, when I was working with my sponsor and we would go through the book, we would say a version of the set-aside prayer before we started. Set aside everything you think you know, because I don't know anything. Just like Jon Snow, for any Game of Thrones fans out there. Um, I, I didn't know anything, and now it's like, wait a minute. I had all the answers my entire life, and now you're telling me I have to throw all that away and put my trust into something I distrusted my entire life? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'll find the door. Thank you very much. But I knew that when I came in, I was at... I was desperate. I was truly and utterly, I had the gift of desperation because something had to work. And in the beginning of my step work, um, my sponsor used to say, she always said, God can remove anything from you if you work the steps. I didn't believe her. I didn't think, I thought she was, I was like, you know, you're crazy, lady. I just, um, no. And she also told me that she goes, when you're done, you're, not only will you have forgiven your brother, you will have compassion for him. I said, okay, now you're crazy. <laughs> that is never going to happen. And so we started working the steps. And we were around step two, and it was Thanksgiving morning. I'll, I will never forget this. I woke up one Thanksgiving morning and said, I don't want to hate him anymore. Mm. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? That is not a thought in my head. And I, I felt like there was this blackness in my soul that had been there my whole life. I felt like it was gone. I felt like, I felt like, my, I felt like the Grinch. My heart, my heart grew three sizes that day. Um, I just felt like it opened up. And it was amazing. And I'm like, okay, where'd that come from? Why? Whoa, what's going on? And I went to, um, we do a Thanksgiving morning, a Thanksgiving Day meeting every year up in Central Jersey, up in Edison. So I went into the meeting and we were in a temple and there's windows and I started telling everybody what happened because I was like, I was feeling it. And I, I told them, as I was telling them, the sun in the window started getting brighter. And I, I only tell people that understand the room started getting brighter and brighter and it was warming up the room and the sun just got so bright as I was talking. I felt something in that room. It was just overpowering and I almost was like blubbering the meeting. I'm like, this is beyond anything that I could. And it really cemented for me that that was a gift from my higher power. And I was like, wow, okay, I get it. This is happening. I can see where this is going. And then as time went on, I was at a retreat and I heard a phrase that sticks with me is that forgiveness is letting go of the hope of a better past. 
And I went, wow. I like that too. And it was a seed was planted in me. And uh, I had just gone on a road trip with a good friend of mine who's also an OAer. And um, we're driving home. And I, we talk about everything under the sun. We were listening to the big book on tape on the way up. Um, and all of a sudden, out of my mouth, you know, I forgive my brother. And I'm like, whoa, where the hell did that come from? Because that's not what I was thinking. It just came out. And I'm like, okay. Damn it, that, my sponsor was right, and it's really making me mad. Because um, I wanted to be right instead of better. And it just was like, and I think all of these things were just a, they were just signs, they were just proof for me that my belief would, I would basically get what I was looking for. I would get healed. I would actually fill that God-sized hole that was in my heart. And and I look back on uh, I was looking I went back and I started even looking back further and when I finally had enough and I wanted to get into recovery, um I found an outpatient center that was in Manhattan. And at the time, being I was five hundred pounds, I couldn't walk further than ten steps, so I had a cane. And I went into the city and it was in Union Square. I don't know if anyone knows Union Square. I parked, and I'm looking for the building, and I walked all the way around the entire square of the park. It was 90 degrees. It was sweating like you wouldn't believe. I kept looking for places to sit down. I got to a doorway, and I said to the doorman, I'm going to have a heart attack. You have to let me sit here. And I sat down, and then literally I found that I had parked 10 feet from the entrance. And I'm like... This is enough to make me leave. But I didn't. I went upstairs. And so I'm an hour late for my appointment. I'm like, I couldn't go in. I'm like, but I went. And then I signed in and I sat down in this red couch. They called my name. I could not get out of the red couch. It was so low to the ground, I was stuck. And I'm like, okay, this is another sign that I just need to get the hell out of here. So some guy grabbed my hand and pulled me out. Okay. I went in and I thought insurance would cover it. Insurance wasn't going to cover it. And I'm like, I'm out of here. And the financial person said, wait. And she brought in the woman who runs the center and she talked to me. Instantaneously, I believe this woman. I have no idea why. And she said, I can help you. And I'm like, and she said, you have a disease. And I'm like, really? I I wish I had this information at an earlier point in time. Because everyone had said something was just wrong with, my, wrong with me. Why can't I do this? And so I decided to just do it. Couldn't afford it. I had to drive into the city because I couldn't take the train. And I'm looking back on it and I'm like, oh my God, my higher power was working through me. And I had, even before I was believing in something, something was there pushing me and prodding me. And I'm like, Wow. That's really very interesting because I didn't see it that way at the time to- at that time, but I was even getting something, and it's not all about getting something. My life was improving. There was no reason why I should have continued on that. I should have just ran, well, not run. I should have just left screaming. And I went to my second OA meeting and I got locked in the bathroom. <laughs> and I was in the side but just banging on the door because I couldn't get out. And um I kept going back. That wasn't me. That just wasn't 
it wasn't no matter I believe my I I look back at all these things and I can say that here was something presenting something to myself saying okay you can be, put your trust in me I ha, I will be there for you and it's just it blows my mind now to go back and think about these things and I was on a business trip I was only in program six months I went on my first business trip in ten years because I couldn't fit in the plane seat. They bought me two seats. They were very nice. And we were out. The food wasn't a problem. And we're sitting somewhere and somebody had a beer sitting in front of me. I wanted that so bad. And all of a sudden I heard this voice, get your ass out of here. And I went, I didn't know who. And I did. I left. And it's kind of like, okay, yeah. Again, this is just, for me, it's just an example that how can I not believe in something that was already trying to peek through my my mind and into my life even when I didn't want it or didn't know that I needed it? And I was just too blind to it to see it at the time. And I look now at it different things of it's been there all along. It talks in the, the book about there's a in every person there's the built in belief of a higher power built in belief of God and I never thought that but yeah it's true it was always there I wanted that I wanted to believe it was it was there all the time and yeah and I do think that I've been through it and I I think that as I said earlier we see things differently at different times and I wasn't ready for all of this information when I first started and as I got through and as I did more and I was getting things keep getting things keep getting presented to me to this day that I never expected. And it's amazing. It's really truly amazing. And um I'll have to pause it then. Whatever's a natural spot, if you want. So um so yeah, it's just it, it's unbelievable and it's proof to me that I'm I'm on the right path. And I'll just say this and then we can finish up. But I, like I said before, I had a sponsee who's a pastor in training. And I said to my sponsor, okay, what am I going to teach him about spirituality? And she said, you don't know. Again, God puts people in your path for a reason. There's something I needed to learn from him. But I'm like, okay. I needed to learn how to sponsor somebody that had a built-in spirituality and respect that and not – and let him speak freely about his faith and what it meant to him. And I learned an awful lot from that sponsee. I really, truly did. It was a, And I'm like, all right, again, God gets his way no matter what, what I try to do to stop him. He just keeps throwing these things in my way. And I, you would think I would know enough to just stop, just let it happen. But no, I'm human. I'm an addict. I ain't going to make it that easy on anybody. So we can stop there.